This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream. Welcome back, everyone. It is the end of August. It's Friday for me, the 28th. I know I was going to do this more often, probably every two weeks, and and I probably will, but, you know, (laughs) it's a pandemic. (laughs) I'm lucky to get out of bed today. (laughs) Oh, the end of August. Yeah, six months into this motherfucker, aren't we? Fuck. Jesus Christ. Well, I've got a couple of cool things to talk about today. I won't keep you all too long, but I did want to share. I did want to pontificate. I did want to, I don't know, hopefully help you shift something, inspire. I don't know. And maybe just me talk out loud a little bit because that's where I'm at right now. So first of all, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I really, really appreciate it. I'm so grateful that your ears are listening to my voice and that your heart is here sitting with mine and that our psyches are hanging out together for the next little bit. So thank you. Thank you for being here. So I'm a little tired this morning because last night... Uh, I went to see a little sneak preview of Bill and Ted's three Face the Music. I was invited to go out to a drive-in theater out close to San Dimas, California. (laughs) Not exactly in San Dimas. It was in Montclair. And some of the cast and crew were there. Um, Alex Winter was there and the director was there, Dean and the producer Scott and a bunch of other crew members, and a bunch of fans were there. And it was really, really great to see that. It was amazing. I hadn't seen it yet. They'd given me a screener, and I didn't want to watch it. These things are hard for me, you guys. It's hard to explain, but just knowing that my dad's going to be on the screen is still really intense for me. It's 12 years that he's been gone, and it still makes me cry. So the first half of the night was the first Bill and Ted's that they were going to play. And then the second half of the night was the new film. And um, I just couldn't go and sit through the first one. It was just too, too much dad. (laughs) So we went, I saw like the last 15 minutes and that was enough dad. Made me tear up. But um, uh, so the second one, oh my God, you're going to love it. You're going to absolutely love it. If you are a fan of the first two, you're going to love it. And it really, really is exactly what the world needs right now. I mean, Bill, Bill and Ted <laughs> are the souls and the kindness and the be excellent to each otherness that, God, we need so badly right now. So enjoy it. And there's a, there's a couple of homages in it. To my dad, there's a little bit of Rufus. Uh, you've, if you're a fan, you know probably you've been following the the stuff about it. Um, they named a character after me. Uh, there's Kristen Shaw plays Rufus's daughter, Kelly, and that's very touching. And I think 
um, Ed and Chris, the writers for that. They're very, very sweet. And then I'm in the movie, but you cannot see me because I could only go one day to shoot and I'm in just one little scene and there's this big CG graphic in front of me so you can't even see me, but I am in the credits. <laughs> so anyway, really, really fun. Uh, you can stream it. You can go to a theater. There's like independent theaters showing it. And of course you can stream it. So please support this movie. And if you need to feel good about the world and just escape for an hour and a half, uh, this is the thing that will do it for you. So I'm a little tired this morning because my husband and I, you know, we're like over 50, 55, you know, like, <laughs> and then to leave the house after 8 p.m. for anything for us is like, okay, we got to gear up for this. And then like during a pandemic to leave the house, it's like, oh my God. So, uh, but we did, we went all the way out. It took us an hour to get there. And uh, we went and saw this. So we didn't get home till late. And I didn't get to sleep till two, which isn't that abnormal for me. But of course, woke up this morning at the normal time. And so I'm a little goofy today, which I think is really fine and good for the podcast also. But that's where I'm at mentally. Um, I'm also sitting in my little studio space, studio space. And outside of my studio space is this... It's this beautiful coral tree I have, and this coral tree came from my parents' house in Brentwood, uh, which is here in Los Angeles. It's where I lived from age, oh God, uh, 13, uh, and then my dad sold it in like 2000, so it was like from 76 to 2000. My parents had this house, and it's where my husband and I got married and I mean it's just a part of my soul and there was a big coral couple of coral trees on the property and my dad cut a limb off of it and put it in a pot and took it with him when he sold the house and moved in with his girlfriend Sally Wade at the time and uh which is very sentimental of my dad like that's so typical of my dad to do something that sentimental and a couple of years in you know, he and Sally lived in the Venice Canals, and there really wasn't a, pl a place to plant it, and he didn't buy any other property at that time. He, he owned property in Vegas, a condo, but that was it. And um, so he gave it to Bob and I and said, you know, you guys need to plant this. This is our family tree. And so we did. Like 15 years ago, we planted this thing, and it's gorgeous. It's this big, gorgeous, it grew. It grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. And coral trees are kind of these crazy South African trees, and they're all twisty and Dr. Seussian, and, and it really is a feature of my backyard. I don't have a very big backyard, um, but it's a little postage stamp backyard, but it's this big feature. So I'm staring at it right now, and my heart's breaking a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm better, but I have to tell you this story which is not this week, but the week before, um, Bob and I um, got someone to help us with our, our landscaping and our lawn and stuff like that. We used to have a guy who used to come and um, just kind of mow the lawn in the front. And just he was just a sweet, sweet guy, great family, loved supporting him and his family from Latin America, from somewhere. I think they were from Guatemala. Um, but once the pandemic start, started, he stopped coming to our house and we didn't have a phone number for him and we do not know what has happened to him. And we are terrified. He was an older man, terrified that something horrible has happened, like deportation or sickness or something. And it's it just breaks my heart because 
I'm going to pause because there's a big blower in the back and I'm going to wait. Okay. <sighs> okay. Uh, that was a gardener that completely uh, <laughs> disturbed my recording. <laughs> of course it was. So anyway, had this lovely, lovely gardener who would come and take care of our front lawn, rarely took care of the backyard. And he disappeared during the pandemic. And during these crazy times, I did not know if he had been deported possibly or if he was sick, but I think it has something to do with the pandemic. And uh, so it's been heartbreaking for us because we've, we've known this guy for probably, I don't know, 15, 20 years and his family, watched his kids grow up, the whole thing. So my husband's been mowing the lawn and all of that, borrowing the neighbor's mower and that's great and everything. And then our neighbors across the street have this great guy who comes and takes care of their stuff and it's with his wife and all this kind of stuff. And we're like, great, you know, and he actually will, you know, do the weeds and stuff like that. It's, it's all great. Lovely, lovely people. So last Tuesday, not this last Tuesday, but the Tuesday before, I'm inside. I've got a client. I'm on Zoom with them. I'm working with them. And I know that um, the gardener and his wife are going to come in the backyard and they have to cut back some shrubs because we're moving some stuff around and they're going to trim the coral tree and all that kind of stuff. Well, I come out a later, a year, a year, I come out a year later <laughs> because everything feels like a fucking year. I come out an hour later and my coral tree has been raped and pillaged. 75% of this tree is gone. My husband and I, when we get our trees, we have two trees on our property. When we get them trimmed, we hire people who are very careful about how they trim them so that they do not look like they've been, uh, like their arms have been cut off. Uh, this guy must have cut, I don't know, I could probably count right now, you know, all 10 of the major limbs coming off of it, except for the very major trunk. Uh, startling, startling to my sensibility. And I, uh, and, I, and I know you're like somebody out there is like rolling their eyes like, really, who fucking cares about your fucking tree? You know, 180,000 people are dying from the pandemic. Yeah, I totally fucking get it. And during these pandemic times, our little bit of sanctuary, our little bit of space that keeps us calm and connected and oh, just safe and secure feeling, that went away for me in that moment. My whole sanctuary of my backyard, this big, first of all, the two big green bushes and this big green tree, gone. I mean, practically gone. And not only that, this tree is my family tree. This is my connection to my parents. I'm an only child. This is like, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, they're not around. My dad hasn't been around for 12 years. My mom hasn't been around for 23 years. And so I just, I, I went insane. I went absolutely insane. I cried, I screamed at the top of my lungs. And this isn't a this is the thing. It like hit every single level of my psyche in that moment. Yes, it it hit my very personal history, it hit my personal sanctuary, but it also hit this other place which is like what we do to nature. 
you know, we just lop off its arms and just say, deal with it for my convenience and for my, you know, need to trim something, you know, I'm going to come in and like do it in such a way that uh, it's just, it, it connected to every part of me. And I think I needed also an expression of all of the rage and the sadness and the pain that I feel about the world right now. And it just poured out through this. And I mean, I'm looking at the tree right now. <laughs> All of my rage is coming back right now. And it really feels like like rage against the patriarchy. Like this is the representation I have right now. This motherfucking asshole guy came in here with his fucking chainsaw and fucking raped and pillaged my tree. You know, it's just everything. And, and I I do so much work these days with women and, and connecting to yin energy, you know, the feminine, reception, earth, psyche, all that kind of stuff. Oh, you guys, it was just, it was a, it was a day. It was 24 hours. It was so bad that I got up at three o'clock in the morning. I woke up to pee and it, the rage started all over again. I mean, the amount of rage I felt in my body, I felt so violated that I went out, I sleep naked and it was really, really hot that week. I went out naked in my backyard and went and talked to the tree and like apologized to this tree. Like, I am so sorry that this has happened to you. And of course the tree is fine with it. You know, the tree's like, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to grow and it's all going to be fine. Uh, you though, Kelly, you, <laughs> I'm not sure if you are going to be fine. And the reason I'm telling this story is it's not about all of the stuff I just talked about. I mean, that's just kind of the setup for me. Really what it's about is how do we sit with these things and what do we do with these big emotions? And a part of me also knew that, oh, and it's going to make me cry just talking about it, that the trimming of this tree and in some way the lopping off of my past, which is what it is, right? Those limbs took 10 years to grow. And what have I been doing the last 10 years? But mourning and individuating and dancing and untangling my past and figuring out who I am as an individual and all that kind of stuff. A lot of shedding has gone on these last 10 years that it was like this enormous, violent, in-the-moment shedding. And some part of me knew that it was exactly what I needed. That I needed to feel the terror and the pain and the confusion and the insecurity of what happens when what keeps us safe, what keeps us protected, maybe what keeps us small, what keeps us limited is suddenly taken away from us. And in this time of the pandemic, it's where we're at right now. Discomfort is necessary for growth, <laughs> no matter how much we resist it. You know, and, and it's not like we need to seek it out. I'm not saying anything like that. Um, and I don't know, it's, it's not even like we need to to laud it or to lift it up in some way that, you know, the, the martyr kind of thing. It's, it's nothing like that. But 
you know, when we avoid discomfort in our lives, that's what makes us neurotic. That's what makes us unhappy. Discomfort is going to happen. Loss is going to happen. Uh, difficulty is going to happen. It's what we do with it that really is where the suffering comes in. And and I realized in some way that even though my heart was broken by the symbol of this tree being hacked up the way it is, and I have to look at it every day too, and that in some ways it breaks my heart over and over again with the loss of my parents, um, that it is, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay right now. That in the long run, without my parents, I'm okay. I'm thriving. I'm, I know how to take care of myself. And that even without my green sanctuary of my backyard that I had, that was felt like the only thing keeping me sane, I will figure out other ways to keep me sane. And I know that it's we're heading into fall anyway, so the the backyard wasn't going to be green in three months, you know. But it would have been nice if it had been a little slower thing. So, you know, so much of what we do in our life is we avoid that which is hard. And the gift of the pandemic is that we cannot avoid it. I mean, it seems like we're all in the grad school right now of having to sit with difficult feelings and emotions. And yet, you know, when we deal with loss and we really let ourselves deal with the loss, like really feel the emptiness of something, the thing that has gone away, the very emotion that we avoid at all costs, and certainly in America, because we're always filling it up the void with like more entertainment or shit in our house. But when we let ourselves be emptied out by it and feel the void, that is when we can connect to some part of ourselves that has been in reserve, that has been waiting in the wings, that has never been touched by us before because we've always had something to fill the void, to distract ourselves with, whether it's alcohol or sugar or binging more TV or buying another sofa or, you know, being addicted to our partners and our relationships and attention and love and seeking love, whatever it is, whatever your fucking thing is. But when we let ourselves really be with the void, the emptiness of it, it's terrifying And yet, something happens. We discover something. Something truer inside of us. Something more real. Something with more depth. Something with more foundation in the earth. A strength, a resilience, a grit. I don't know what word you want to call it, but we really discover ourselves in that moment. We are bigger than these stories we tell about ourselves. We are bigger than the endless change of our mood from 10 minutes here to 10 minutes there. And sometimes the only way we can do that is to really stop 
and pause and be still and to acknowledge, to really acknowledge the impermanent nature of life. I mean, this is what the pandemic has given us, to really see that this thing called certainty is such bullshit. There's nothing is certain. Nothing is permanent. Nothing is permanent. And yet our grasping onto this concept keeps us fucked up, (laughs) keeps us running, keeps us terrified. I was reading a little bit from Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, the Zen Buddhist Vietnamese master, and uh, he's just so beautifully, he talks about impermanence. Um, He says, being in contact with life in the present moment, we observe deeply what is. Then we are able to see the impermanent and selfless nature of all that is. Impermanence and selflessness are not negative aspects of life, but the very foundations on which life is built. Impermanence is the constant transformation of things. Without impermanence, there can be no life. I mean, life, like, this is me talking, life is the definition of impermanence, right? Because it's ever, ever changing in every moment. Go out in a forest. Yeah, okay, maybe trees don't look like they're moving or doing anything, but they are busy. Nature is busy. And selflessness is the interdependent nature of all things. I mean, man, that for me is probably the most exciting thing about the pandemic, is that we are getting truly a masterclass in interdependence. I mean, if you never knew what that word was before the pandemic, I'm sure you're kind of understanding what it is now. And you've probably heard it a few times. We can see how interconnected everything is. And certainly modern life, for sure, is all of that. I mean, just looking at the economy. Uh, But even before modern life, everything is interdependent. Without interdependence, Nothing could exist without the sun, the clouds, and the earth. The tulip could not be. We often feel sad. This is Thich Nhat Hanh again. We often feel sad about the impermanence and selflessness of life because we forget that without impermanence and selflessness, life cannot be. To be aware of impermanence and selflessness or interdependence does not take away the joy of being alive. On the contrary, it adds healthiness, stability, and freedom. It is because people cannot see the impermanent and selfless nature of things that they suffer. They take what is impermanent as permanent, so they mistake it. They think, oh, that's going to be permanent. No. And they see that what is selfless as having a self. So they see themselves, right? So this is the Zen stuff, which is we think I am an I, this is me, and therefore I'm a self, but really I am a billion trillion fucking cells and I am all these different elements and I am the air that I breathe constantly and I'm here because of my parents and I'm here because of everything supporting me to stay alive. So there really is no self. So the freedom and the invitation of this time 
is to step into this impermanence and this selflessness big time, to really sit in it and to embrace it. And from that place, and this isn't like an escape hatch. This isn't about, oh, good, now I don't have to feel anxious about anything anymore. (laughs) No. (laughs) Oh, now I don't have to do the work that society needs me to do. No. Oh, now I don't have to, um, you know, connect to the world. No. This is about finding the stillness and the wisdom and the big yes in all of this that when we see everything is impermanent, when we're willing to face the terror of that and face the terror that we really aren't a thing, we are no self, from there then, what's it like to watch the constant impermanence and the constant selves who think they're selves, who we know aren't selves, move through the world? and take up positions, and take up tribalism, and take up, uh, you know, identity stuff. Um, You know, the, the politics of the world become a very different place when you're in this place. And it's not that you're above it, or it's not that you're not going to participate in it. It's just that you're seeing this very, very bigger, bigger picture. And from it, then, you can come to it with a real open heart and a sense of kindness. That's what it does for me. And then I remember that everybody's a human being, that we're all selves, non-selves, pretending to be selves. We're all in search of certainty in an extremely uncertain system. You know, physics, (laughs) quantum physics, nature, all this stuff is an uncertain, ever-changing system. So when you see it in that bigger light, you can really come at it through your heart and through compassion for all sentient beings. That's the stance. You know, during the Vietnam War, Thich Nhat Hanh, um, his sect, his little Buddhist monastery at the time, uh, and he was a monk at the time, they all worked to relieve suffering. And so they helped the suffering of both those from the North and the South. And they were demonized because of it. They were demonized by each side for helping each other. And they were just trying to end suffering, human suffering. And in this very, very divided, scary, young boys on streets with guns, protesters these last few months leading up to the election, it's very easy to get swept into the stance that I am right and anyone who doesn't believe or see what I see is wrong. And therefore, certain things are justified. And this is not about not having taking a stand against what is wrong. This is not about um, placating. This is about really understanding that if we're going to make it through this, there needs to be people in our culture who 
are willing to come from a very calm place and see the truth of definitely what is immoral and moral. Um, you know, the five precepts of Buddhism can help you line up with that. You know, do no harm is basically the main thing. Um, and so to just have that space inside of myself to balance the part of me that wants to just <laughs> rage against the machine constantly is, is really essential. And so I'm speaking about it today and just to remind all of you, because I'm sure all of you already know all of this. And so that's what I'm doing with the tree. You know, I'm feeling my rage about it. I'm feeling my fuck you for fucking, fucking up my tree. I feel that in my body. I feel the heat of that in my body. But am I going to like act on it? Am I, I going to call this guy an asshole? Am I going to ask him like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, are you just a fucking tool of the patriarchy killing my fucking tree? No. <laughs> does a part of me want to do that? Yes, of course it does. Would that help anything in the long run? Yeah, for 10 minutes it would make me feel better. But I can rage in my house. And there's nothing wrong with that. But in the end, it's like, I want to understand, where is he coming from? Is this his idea of what makes a tree healthy? Then I want to know that. Did he see that, you know, he was trying to do some good? I'm sure he was. He didn't have any malevolence against me, you know, or my tree. Um, there might be a little bit of ignorance there. Maybe he doesn't trim trees great. I don't know. Just to stand in his shoes for a moment, I guess is what I'm saying. And so my tree will grow the rest of this year or do what it does in the fall, which is probably not grow. And it'll grow like a motherfucker in the spring, which is great. And it'll be a reminder to me every single day of that, yeah, there are some limbs in my life that are cut off that were cut off kind of violently, like when my parents died or when this pandemic came or when, you know, <laughs> all the suffering in the world. It's a beautiful metaphor now for all the suffering in the world and how because of the impermanence of it all, it will change. This tree is a new tree and it will grow again. And these stories and these identities and this attachment I have to it is not real. It's just a story in the end. It's not my tree. It's not my family's tree. It's just life. Okay. Thank you for letting me ramble about my tree today. I really, really appreciate it. I didn't know I was going to talk so long about my tree, but you know, that's the way I am. <laughs> uh, next week, I will eventually get to jigsaw puzzles. I will talk about jigsaw puzzles and how they have been helped my husband and I deal with this pandemic in such a beautiful way and the metaphor of them. Um, and next week, I will also talk about this new idea I'm working with around and it's something I've struggled with my whole life, but there's been a lot of talk of it on Twitter lately 
around the concept of productivity and what capitalism does to our sense of our own personal productivity and how capitalism in the long run is a really, really fucked up measure of productivity because it doesn't take the human body or the human spirit into consideration. And so I started to work with this idea of uh, something called conductivity instead. So I'll talk about that next week. Oh, next week. I'm not saying I'm going to do this next week. Maybe in two weeks. Maybe it will be in a week. Who knows? I just came through a really intense month of work and then I went on vacation this week. So that's why it's been a month since I've talked to you. But I do intend on doing this more often. All right, you guys have a great, great time this weekend. Watch Bill and Ted. Take care of each other. Pause. Read some Thich Nhat Hanh. T-H-I-C-H-N-H-A-T-H-A-N-H. Start with any one of his books, but really start with, uh, hold on here, I'm going to tell you which one to start with. Start with The Miracle of Mindfulness. That'll do it for you. Uh, Also, if you are a woman on the verge, you feel like you're a woman on the verge, what does that mean? A woman who's facing the next phase of her life and wants to do it with less baggage, with more meaning, with more sense of purpose, with more sense of connection, with bigger impact in the world, go check out my womenontheverge.coaching.com landing page. Read it a little bit. If it's something that seems like you're interested, apply to my program. I'm only taking uh, probably three or four more people the end of the year. So if that is something that interests you and you apply and it seems like it's a good fit for you, I will contact you. And what else? Uh, Go support the National Comedy Center. Go to Jamestown, New York. If you're in the region, you know where Jamestown is. It's near Chautauqua. It is in the, what they call the southern tier, the western part of New York. Uh, If you need to take a road trip with the kids uh, this fall, go do it. They're safe and clean, and you can actually go through the center. As you know, my dad's archives are in there. It's an amazing place. And they just did their comedy festival, their Lucy Fest online. I did an interview with Alan Zweibel, who was one of the original SNL writers. But there's a ton of interviews with a bunch of different comics and people, really interesting mashups. Go check that out. And I think that's it. I think that is it. So take care of yourself, you guys. Really take care of yourselves. It's a crazy world out there. Do the crazy things in a limited way. Take care of your body. Take care of your mind. Take care of each other. And we will talk soon. Okay. Thank you for being here. Thank Logan Heftel for editing this together, for putting a song in that always seems appropriate at the end of this show. And what else? (sighs) We'll thank my gardener for giving me such a big life lesson. Stay cool.
Oh, 